0: hello and welcome to the show gold squadron gays it's the podcast where two star wars loving gays break down each episode of their favorite star wars tv shows while also being gay as hell i'm your host bradley brower i'm charles Ronders,
1: and i'm andy
2: And andy welcome to the show thanks
1: thank for you, having me
2: thank you for being here i know that we had to work pretty hard to get you here this week <laughs> given how Bradley and I's schedules are but I was absolutely determined to have you on for this episode after seeing it.
1: Yeah it was a real doozy
2: and I'm glad to be here.
1: Uh, I'm from Force Friends Rewatch uh, and um, yeah I'm I'm a they them gay so.
2: For the sake of our comment section yes. Now Force Friends that's you and your friend Ryan and you guys are watching through. Do you want to talk a little bit about what that is?
1: Yeah, on Force Friends, we uh, pick a theme or a idea or a concept in Star Wars and then we trace it chronologically through TV shows to see how the idea gets explored. So um, uh, the first season we did with that concept was we watched every Mandalorian-themed episode of Star Wars TV. So we watched all the Clone Wars episodes, then Rebels, and then... Uh, The Mandalorian to try and like figure out stuff that was like being dropped in Mando but if you hadn't seen the other shows in a while we were like fuzzy on so that was really fun and we're doing Twi'leks now so we're watching every Twilight slash Ryloth episode of of TV.
2: Nice yeah I know that uh, I, I just recently forced my boyfriend practically at gunpoint to sit down and watch all of Star Wars Rebels which he pretended to not be enthused about and now he owns a stuffed loath cat so <laughs> that's where he's at but I, I was actually listening to the back episodes of force friends at the same time as i was watching through the show with him and the pace at which we were watching the show actually lined up to when i could listen to the episodes oh, so that's actually, nice. it actually worked out that i was able to listen to some of the mando episodes like the episodes on zero hour And the other Mando themed episodes from the back two seasons of Rebels. And then I would listen to the Force Friends rewatch episode shortly after that. So it was very like, it's always nice to watch something and then hear somebody talk about it.
1: Yeah, that's so cool that you were able to like listen along. That's awesome.
2: Well, Andy, thank you again for joining us. Let's dive right in. Bradley, I don't think we have any news this week do you want to drop any fucking bombshells on no. me this week Bradley do you want <laughs> to do no you want bombshells. to fucking just drop something on me that I was not prepared for do you want to make any startling revelations about yourself
0: hmm. let's see oh I started dming Max Lloyd Jones last night uh,
2: we'll come back to I'm, that just kidding, I'm, just just kidding, I'm just kidding I'm just kidding I'm just kidding oh no um... put a pin in that because we're gonna come back to that <laughs> that's gonna come up later
0: it will it will will.
2: (laughs) uh we do have though before we dive into the episode we do have not necessarily the thing charles fucked up but the thing Mm -hmm. charles didn't realize and had to be reminded on twitter so do y'all know the droid the cooking droid that we loved so much last week with the the crazy flinging arms and knives
1: yeah yeah the uh grievous droid
2: Yeah. I thought that was a completely new droid to Star Wars. I was wrong. That droid has appeared one other place, and that is on the refugee ship scene in Attack of the Clones. Uh, that is the droid that is working the uh, buffet line that R2 steals the bullets uh, from. No, oh, that's awesome. Yeah. That's so fun. Yeah, Phil, uh, I can never say his last name, Stosek? I I I cannot pronounce your last name, Phil. I'm so sorry. Uh, but your your Twitter is an absolute goldmine of obscure Star Wars stuff.
0: Hey, I missed that. So
2: I'm hey, I missed that. I think maybe because I don't watch Attack of the Clones that often. It's it's not something like Revenge of the Sith that I could like easily like immediately hmm. know the references. Maybe
1: it, it is my second least favorite Star Wars movie, and I still like it. Like, I like Attack of the Clones. Some people shit on it, but uh, yeah, it is second from the bottom.
0: Wait, what's your, uh, what's, the, what's your least favorite?
1: Oh, I mean, Rise of Skywalker.
0: Oh, whoa. Okay. Oh, Interesting. Yeah. I think it's going to become, that's so funny that you say that, because i I listened to um, Star Wars Minute podcast, and they always ask their guests, you know, how would you rank the Star Wars movies? And before now, you know, they haven't really had people rank Rise of Skywalker because it just wasn't a thing until, you know, recently. And then now I'm thinking, like, whoa, I wonder where people are going to start ranking that. Because everybody would always use to say Phantom Menace was their least favorite. So it's just interesting. See,
2: I, I love Phantom Menace. Attack of the Clones is my least
0: favorite. Oh, wow. Okay. I,
1: I ate well this episode as a Phantom Menace stan.
2: Uh, oh, same, yeah. Same. Oh, yeah. yeah. I but, have a... Uh, I have a soft spot for it because I was nine, eight or nine when it came out. Mm-hmm. So I was just the right age to like, comprehend what I was seeing beyond, ooh, flashy lights.
1: Right. Rise of Skywalker is the only Star Wars movie I've watched once. I watched it in theaters. Uh, once it came out on Disney+, Plus, I sat myself down and I got a pen and paper and I was like, I'm going to watch this movie. I'm going to write down everything that I liked. And, like, that'll help me, like, fall in love with this movie. And I got about halfway through and was, like, I'm not having fun with this. Uh, And I turned it off and haven't gone back.
2: I know that Brian from Pink Milk, uh, who we know, Andy. Mm -hmm. Brian has struggled really hard because he doesn't like disliking a Star Wars thing. So he's been on, like, a journey to try to find ways to appreciate the rise of Skywalker. And he's been like, like he read the book and that did a pretty good job for him, I guess. He would be somebody that I'd be interested to talk to about that journey.
1: There's stuff I'd like. like I love Babu Frick. I love the lightsaber fight where like they're phasing in and out of the different locations. Uh, a lot of the costumes are great. Like Poe and Finn have never looked better. Um, but yeah, uh, that movie was not made for me. And that's I'm also fine with that though. Like that's fair. Like not every piece of Star Wars has to be something that I personally love and connect with. Like this movie was made uh I think pretty intentionally in retaliation to The Last Jedi, which I adored and uh so it's clear that this was made for the people who uh didn't like that movie and mm-hmm. um you know, I'm happy that they're happy yeah it's it's
2: interesting it's interesting with the sequels because like we have a a plethora of different guests on the show rise of skywalker is very rarely in the middle for people it's either down somewhere near the bottom or it's up somewhere near the top i almost never hear it is kind of mid-tier and the last jedi is the same way like it's it's my favorite of the star wars movies in general it's not the one that I think is the best, but it's my personal favorite. But I also am really good friends with people who it is the bottom or the second to last who just absolutely despise this movie.
1: Uh, and and I mean, like, we're at a point where there's so much Star Wars that there's, there's really is something for everyone. And uh, there's no need to be the sort of fan... I feel like a lot of fans would like to collect things, and so we like to say, "I've read every Star Wars book, I've read every comic, I've seen every show." You know, we we want to have that achievement unlocked because we play video games, and you know, you gotta you gotta go through every corner of the map and unlock everything. And like, y'all, you don't need to do that though. Like, you can just watch the stuff you like, and you can just read the stuff you like. And if you feel like something isn't for you, then like, just skip it. Like, no need to force yourself to to read a bunch of stuff and turn something you love into a chore.
2: Exactly. And like some people like I'm one I I am one of those people. I like to consume everything at least once, even the stuff that I don't necessarily like. Like I've now caught up on all the Star Wars comics and I can definitely say that there's issues of the Star Wars comics that I just flat out didn't like or there's stuff that's running now that I'm I probably not ever going to go back and revisit unless I decide to do like this insane canon run. So it's, you don't have to wallow in everything. I feel like fans, toxic fans in particular, I feel like love to latch onto the things that they don't like. And they'll just wallow in them because hate is a very powerful emotion and a very seductive emotion. And it can be a lot of fun to hate on something that you don't like. And I feel like A lot of people lean too much into that to an unhealthy extent and i agree with you just if you don't like something skip it i'm i vehemently hate the force unleashed games just absolutely hate them i'll bring up that i don't like them performatively on the show but in my day-to-day life i i barely think about them (laughs) i'm just like i don't like these or I like to pretend that, uh, Karen Travis never wrote a single thing at all mm-hmm. in general. So I've, I've never gone back and revisited any of her stuff, even after the Mando stuff, because I feel no need to, because I know that that's a corner of the Legends universe that I just didn't enjoy.
1: She's a bad author and she has some really <laughs> weird opinions on masculinity and, uh, I don't need to read a single word that she, uh, has written other than what I've already consumed. <laughs>
2: <laughs> well, speaking of Mandalorians who are better, I've gotten very good at this by now. We got
1: around, we got around to the show, baby.
2: That's uh, right. speaking of Mandalorians who weren't written by a, a bad writer and also bad person, uh, Bradley, do you want to take us into this week's episode of The Mandal... Sorry, sorry, I, I, see, I misspoke, um, sorry, uh, The Book of Denjart, fuck me, right. I got it wrong again, um, shit, what was the show we were watching, Bradley?
0: I mean, I even literally wrote my script, it was like, you know, normally I always start with, this week Boba decided, oh, just kidding, this week... <laughs> This week, The Mandalorian decided he's leaving the single parenthood life behind by bounty hunting instead and getting a new ride. Andy, what is one thing you liked about this episode and one thing you did not?
1: Oh boy, that's a big question. Uh, right now, I, I, liked, one. I liked everything very much, <laughs> um, but uh, I'm going to say uh, the fact that uh prequel stands uh ate good tonight that was uh one thing i liked uh one thing i didn't like is um i didn't dislike anything i wow. cannot pick anything that i just liked. Okay. Uh, that's fair you can also yeah. say that maybe some of the twitter reactions i saw to din's coming out moment <laughs> is what i just liked but that's twitter for you that's star wars twitter baby
2: Oh, God, I have I have never I've never been happier than this week to be so fucking busy at work that I literally cannot check my phone at all. People are uh, if- wild. Yeah. If you guys have noticed the Gold Squadron Gays Twitter is real quiet this week, it's because uh, my primary job is eating up all my time and I can't do my secondary job. So apparently I missed some weird toxic shit that I have no desire to go back and look at.
0: <laughs> uh charles what's one thing you liked and one thing you didn't
2: so one thing i liked uh having watched the mando mandalorian season two all the way through and having our conversations with people like erin uh whose inbox i have been blowing up with insistence that she needs to watch this episode (laughs) uh and talking about the whole concept of deprogramming coming out of a cult coming out of a deeply fundamentalist environment and deprogramming that den reacts to a traumatic loss in his life by going back to that cult that he just spent a bunch of time trying to leave because that's where he finds comfort even though it's toxic and fucked up and unhealthy is such an important theme of this episode i i hate that for den but i love that it is a thing that is happening that we can talk about Mm -hmm. it's what the jamie lannister stuff in season eight of game of thrones was trying to do where you go back to the weird horrible thing because it's where you find the most comfort but this is actually done well and i really liked it and i'm glad that we can have conversations about it one thing i disliked about this episode uh so the show is called the book of Boba Fett <laughs> and Boba Fett is not even mentioned barely in this episode. And that's a problem. You can make the case that an episode can exist of the book of Boba Fett without Boba Fett in it. As long as Boba Fett, if he, like as long as the episode is about him or impacted by him in some way, mm-hmm. this episode, I think missed a golden opportunity to show us the perspective of somebody on Tatooine under Boba's rule that is not Boba Fett. We could have had a chance to see Pelimoto and Din existing in this space while influenced by Boba Fett without necessarily seeing him, especially since I will point out a specific instance where they like they brushed up against this they got so close, but they didn't quite lean into it enough, I felt like. And that would have been the one thing I would have changed to maybe make this episode work a little bit better in context to the rest of the show. That was that was my thing I disliked. Uh, if I not have, more... Sorry, go ahead. I have a
1: dislike. Okay. I thought of one. Oh. I don't like that the spear got melted down. Oh. <laughs> you know what the fuck, Dan? I, I felt like that was uh, a really iconic weapon that if din is going to keep the dark saber he could have given to like one of his lieutenants like sabine or bo katan later or if he's going to give up the dark saber he could have kept the spear and uh don't get me wrong i love that grogert is getting uh a little mithril shirt made but um i don't know i like the spear i think it's a bummer that i got uh destroyed
2: I have a note on the melting down of the spear, and we will come back to it, because of this overarching theme of the cult bullshit that happens in this episode. But Bradley, give us one like and one dislike real fast before I start ripping this episode apart and displaying its guts to our audience
0: okay uh one thing i liked uh besides all the prequel stuff um i really enjoyed the design of the satellite slash moon city whatever that was it's called uh...
2: the glavis ring
0: okay so i thank love you. that
2: thank you liam like star wars somebody i follow on twitter who like always knows the planet names for things got
0: it um i love the design love the idea that it just like constantly is like light and dark light and dark light and dark which would get so annoying by the way but I feel like visually it's stunning but like practically it's like a terrible design for a space station (laughs) but um love that um I didn't like like you said uh the show is called Book of Boba unfortunately I do think that's the one thing the show missed the mark on I don't know how you could have gotten him in other than, like, we'll talk about it when we get to it, but I did notice in the credits he is still credited as top billing
2: for this episode. Him and Ming-Na Wen, which is, right. Which is correct.
0: Uh, right, Ming-na but Wen at least deserves Ming deserves
2: top billing all But at the least time. Ming showed
0: up, like, for the episode. So that's why I was confused. And I thought maybe, like, they had filmed something that maybe just didn't make it in or we're going to follow in another situation where next week you know, it's like bleeding into each other and then Boba is in the very beginning and it's back to normal. You know what I mean? So I don't know, but that's just what. Happened. Chapter five begins with Din Djarin collecting on a bounty in the middle of a nerf herder butcher shop. The bounty decides to be brought in cold as Din fights the group of Clatoonians and slices them apart with his dark saber, but not before hurting himself in the process. Title card, Return of the Mandalorian.
2: The Clotudian stands who must exist uh, apparently are really eating well with these episodes.
1: (laughs) I hate this creature design. I hate Clotudians.
0: Yeah, they're like bulldogs or something. Like, I don't like them. Like,
1: because I was people into the puff play are like real, real thirsty. That's what it is. But
0: yeah, that's what it is. I couldn't get really? what the thing was, really? but it was, that's it. It's pup play. That's exactly what it yeah. is. Yeah. Really? Look, the Clatoonians? They look like
1: human dogs.
0: Yes, they look like human dogs. That's what it is. I, I was trying to figure out what thing that they did, what made them so weird to me, and it's because they're like basically furries walking around.
2: Is there like a Clatoonian like pup talk going around? Am I just in the wrong part of TikTok? <laughs> Or possibly uh, in the right part of TikTok because I'm not seeing this.
1: You know what I loved about this fight, though? Uh, Something that I've bitched about a lot on Force Friends is that in season two, Din was kind of invincible. Like, he would just walk down hallways with tons of people shooting at him and be fine. He was like goddamn Iron Man or some shit. And I love that he gets hurt and he gets hurt badly in this uh, in this fight. Like, his leg is all fucked up. He has a limp for, like, the next 20 minutes of the episode. And I loved it. It, it felt very real again. It felt like season one Mando.
2: And it's, like, his own fuck-up that does it. Because he whacks himself with the Darksaber because he doesn't know how to use it. Yep. <laughs> but he does it to himself. Like, one of my favorite moments from Mando season two was uh, the Mayfeld episode, where he's wearing the different armor. And he forgets that he's wearing the different armor, and so he lets mm. himself get—I forget—it's either shot or hit. Yeah. And then he actually feels it, and he's like, "Oh, <laughs> oh no, I'm I'm not Iron Man anymore." The uh, the meatpacking plant is, of course, a classic mafia mob staple. So if there's crime to be done, it will, of course, be in a meatpacking plant. Uh, are you sure there're nerfs, Bradley?
0: so i was watching um a video on uh youtube or whatever easter eggs and all that stuff and someone said the uh concept art at the end confirms that's what it was because their heads are in the um concept art so the the star
2: was explained put out the video that i'm constantly cribbing from for my fun facts (laughs) because if he did this week i haven't watched it um because i've been super busy so this is the first week where i'm not just stealing alex damon's ideas (laughs) yeah so meat plant classic location loved it the minute he says i could bring you in warm i could bring you in cold that is the moment where i kind of sat up and went oh den's doing a backslide here
0: yeah he's back to normal
2: He's he's back to where he was all the way at the beginning of Mando season 1 episode 1. Mm-hmm. He had better not be hooked up with this cult again. It really reminded me
1: of Finn's character arc where like Finn in Force Awakens he learns that like it's good like yes leave the first order and like find someone you care about. But then in the Last Jedi, he has to learn like there are causes worth fighting for, mm. and some people felt like he backslid. And it's like, I, like no, he just like just because he cared about Rey didn't mean he cared about the Resistance.
2: Right.
1: And um, this felt like you know, Din was on a mission from the Armorer to find Grogu's people, but that didn't mean he was ready to like leave his cult. And even though he made friends outside of it, like he's still a bounty hunter at heart and he has to like, especially now with Grogu gone, he has to fully embrace that he's on, you know, there are other paths. He can be more than just a bounty hunter.
2: The question being, you know, what, what is he without Grogu now that Grogu is gone? And apparently the answer is exactly the same, which I would agree. I I don't think it's a backslide. Well, I think it's, On the surface, it's a backslide, but I think Mm -hmm. it says something important about the character that his reaction to going through this event of losing Grogu is to go back to things he finds comfortable. There was some criticism of the sequel trilogy, especially The Force Awakens, where people were like, oh, Han went back to smuggling, just it felt like nothing happened in the past 30 years. And I'm like, he raises the point in the movie Force Awakens that like it was a response to the trauma of Ben turning to the dark side Mm -hmm. and the way that it impacted either he says it or Leia says it about both of them is that their reaction was to go back to where they were 30 years ago, where they were comfortable. And when I saw Dan say the same line from the first episode, I kind of went, oh, that's what's going on here he's lost Grogu and he's like, okay, I'm going to go back to what I find comfortable, which is bounty hunting. And also my very weird, horrible religious cult. It's
1: like when you go home from college and like you hook up with all of your high school friends and like, even if you've like learned and grown a bunch, like as soon as you're with them, like you're the same you were four years ago.
2: Yeah. And he's straight, like he's almost worse now. Like because he straight kills the guy,
1: like, yeah. He he's
2: bisexing.
1: He's yeah. pretty brutal. I I mean, it, it it felt very much like that first fight scene in the first episode where he pulls the guy through the door. Oh yeah, cuts the dude yeah, in half of the half, door. Yeah. But now, now he's got a fucking dark saber.
2: Oh, I didn't even realize that because my first thought was, oh, he's like backslid. To being a bounty hunter, and also now he's become much more ruthless. Mm-hmm. Like in the loss of Grogo. And I always kind of thought to myself as I was watching it, I was like, this is the show that people were worried that Mandalorian was going to be, was gonna be just this brutal, like dark guy doing dark things to survive in the world, mm-hmm. badass and killing people. But I also think it's important that, like, he gives the other people who's not there like repeated chances to leave, and then the guys who are outside, he's like, "Hey, uh, your boss is dead. You want to seize the means of production?" (laughs)
1: Loved
2: that, Comrade Din joining Comrade Boba from Episode Three. I love it,
1: Clatoonian Workers United.
2: (laughs) (laughs) This see, this wouldn't have happened if they had just unionized. Yeah. It, I did have sort of a weird moment when the Book of Boba Fett title card popped up. Oh, oh yeah, I am watching the Book of Boba Fett. Okay, it felt a little
1: appropriate to me because like the end of season two of Mando is kind of a backdoor pilot for Book of Boba Fett, and this was kind of like a backdoor like premiere of season three of Mando. Yeah. Like I felt like it was kind of appropriate. Like Bob, like Din was like, "Hey, old man, I'll scratch your back," and then. Boba was like, all right, now come over here. I'm going to scratch yours. Here's the, here's your season three premiere.
0: Yeah, it's almost like if you had taken this scene and then made him not injure himself, like let's say it ended with him not injuring himself and then he just leaves. And so for some reason he has to say, like, I have to go see a little friend. Like that would have been like your little end scene of Book of Boba and then teasing us for season three. Like you could have done the whole thing. I don't know. It's really weird that they shoehorn this episode in because we always love to say that you know the mandalorian season two had a bunch of backdoor pilots so it was you know the ahsoka show the book of boba you know all these different backdoor pilots are like popping up everywhere um and
2: which is super funny given that uh one of those shows (laughs) is not going to be made anymore right so the backdoor pilot stuff from that is just loosely hanging on there although i i i will Say something about that show a little bit later in the episode.
0: Up next, in one of the coolest cities space stations ever, uh Din just delivers his bounty and collects some information. He heads to an alley where he discovers that the covert is still around with only the armor and Paz Vizla left. They tend to his wounds. And she tells Mando a bit about the history of the Darksaber.
2: So that that's a fucking halo. Y'all are, y'all are giving me blank looks there's the
1: there's a not passing resemblance of the cool space ring to the video game franchise halo
2: yeah that's uh, like i i watched it and and i saw it like i had two thoughts my first thought was oh it's the halo and my second thought was isn't that also like the citadel for mass effect I don't know i only played Mass effect
0: one um, i don't know any of that stuff all, it, all i was thinking of was that one episode of clone wars where there's like a halo around the planet and it's like a space station
2: bradley you're too it's, young for halo to be relevant to you
1: it's it's a popular design aesthetic because essentially it's what if the ring of saturn but all metal and people lived on it and you just remove the planet from the center so Mm -hmm. i did see like quite a few uh fandom menace people bitching about how kathleen kennedy's ruined the book of boba fett because it's just halo and i was like (laughs) guys like this this design is not solely unique to halo it's like a pretty popular space station designed from lots of shit
0: lots of stuff i like i'm pretty sure uh this was in interstellar there's a similar one in that movie uh, which there's the bryce dallas howard connection right there but uh because there's a in that movie at the end there's a space station that um like he goes to at the very sorry spoiler if you haven't seen interstellar for some reason um (laughs) but there's like he goes to a space station at the end which is a giant like ring-like structure just like this
2: yeah that was immediately my first thought upon seeing it was uh Oh, that's a Halo. And then I realized, oh, my God, it's been literal decades since Halo was relevant. (laughs) Oh, boy. I have a soft spot in my soul for uh, one shots or for one So seeing one in this episode made me so happy. And I didn't even realize until halfway through the scene, oh, this camera hasn't cut. Did y'all notice that the scene where he goes up to do the information, gets in the elevator and gets out. That's all one shot.
1: I love oh, I me a good that. long take, but I didn't pick up on
0: that. Yeah. yeah. I, can, I can recognize it.
2: Yeah. It took me like, I realized it halfway through. And so the second one, I was like super watching, mm. like just to make sure I wasn't going crazy. And you know,
1: do you, nope. you want to film fun fact?
2: I would love a film, fun fact.
1: The average length of a Michael Bay shot across all of his movies is three seconds.
0: That's way
1: so every every three seconds per average on a Michael Bay movie, it's cutting to a new shot.
2: In fairness, that is the attention span of most straight men.
1: (laughs) Well, he he came from commercials. And that's how you film a commercial. Right. And he got famous for doing these really cinematic movie level quality commercials. Well, then he just does that in his actual movies now. So that's a little fun, fun movie fact for you.
0: Yeah. I like Bryce's uh, style a little bit better here.
1: Yeah. 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 She's, she's good at what she does. There's
0: yeah. a, there's a one,
2: there's a, a, a one no cut scene in uh, Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. That I've seen that was really fun it was the fight scene a lot of times it's used for either fight scenes or walking through like the one in Goodfellas is brought up by horrible pretentious film nerds all the time the
1: the hallway fight in Daredevil is probably my favorite long take it's a remarkably choreographed Mm. fight and the fact that it is all one long take in one hallway is just uh remarkable to me
2: couple of little fun alien facts from this sequence. Uh, I was real fast Googling something that I had forgotten to check uh, while I was prepping for this episode. The alien that's in the, the elevator with Den is called a Cascadag, And they were previously seen... I thought we had never seen this alien before, but they're actually in Force Awakens, Last Jedi two episodes of The Mandalorian and three other episodes of Book of Boba Fett. Oh I would
1: love God. to see a sequel, Alien. Love that.
2: <laughs> I do love to see a sequel, Alien. However, the thing I was looking up, because I thought that the person that Den is talking to was something called an Ongri. And I was like, that doesn't sound right. That doesn't sound right. Uh, they're not. They're an Ishi Tib. Mm. is what they are uh they're all over the place but i don't think we've seen them yes andy is making like a beak, beak motions <laughs> in the zoom call
1: it's like a frog with a beak
2: yeah <laughs> they have been seen in the star wars the clone wars and in revenge mm-hmm. of the sith but they mainly show up in like comic books and just video games they're, they're a, they're a, a
1: skin in some of the battlefront games and shit
2: yeah so they've been around we just haven't visually seen them a lot nice
0: that's
2: our that's our fun alien fact for the day i have in my notes oh no it's the armorer <laughs> It's my reaction to seeing her again oh i had a
0: better note and it was hell yeah it's the Armorer.
2: <laughs> who doesn't love an evil lesbian
0: i know uh i it's I, true. It's I, true. Tar- show I, show knows me. A, I love women, so it's show me a eel. straight
2: woman who blacksmiths. Come on <laughs> now. <laughs> that is true. I have I have been going off on Twitter for weeks uh, about how Avar Chris has been doing nothing wrong in the High Republic comics, and I fully support her, uh, and I support actually every even just women in general. Like I support women's rights, but I also support women's wrongs. Truly,
1: I do.
0: Uh,
1: Emma Frost is one of my favorite comic book bitches. So, like,
2: yeah, I'm right there with you.
0: Just love a yeah, lady. lady, you know?
2: Yeah. More lady villains, please. We talk in the show about how we love lady villains. More lady villains.
1: Mm-hmm. What what I found really interesting was so many people reacting. To her, this episode, and being like, Yeah, fuck Sabine for giving Fokatan the Darksaber. She cursed Mandalore. And I'm like, Excuse me, uh, Sabine Mm -hmm. Wren didn't do anything wrong ever in her whole life. One, and two, you're believing the armorer, the like mustache twirling, like cult leader, like like Reverend Striker motherfucker. Like, you're believing her over. Everything else we've ever been seen
2: about Mandalorians, like, come on now. She's got Mandalorian spikes on her helmet. Like, yeah,
0: come on. That's true. We can't she's trust obviously- her. We don't really know exactly. what she's uh, saying.
1: Every everything she said this episode, uh, I fully believe is just wrong. Like, I don't think she said one thing that was accurate.
2: It was all shrouded in, like, this grandiose religiosity, I guess is the word that I could use for it. Uh, like, when she's shitting on bo in the later scene that we'll get to, it's all couched in this, like, Mandalore was cursed because she went away from the way. <laughs> and it's like, if you don't like bo just say you don't like Bo-Katan. It's Some mean fun. girl shit.
0: Yeah. It's almost like... They're like she knew her in high school or something like that, and like Bo-Katan bullied her, and then so she's like holding a grudge against Bo-Katan, and she's like, well, oh, I, I hate her so much.
1: Didn't didn't even uh, ask at one point about you know the the fall of Mandalore and whatnot, and the armor says that only Mandalorians who followed the way survived; everyone else died because yada yada yada. Mandalore was weak. The the creases ruined it and it's like bitch we saw casca wolves and like we saw Bo-Katan's whole click last season girl like we know that's not true like (laughs) even
2: even if sabine wasn't come even we didn't know out of universe that sabine was coming back for the ahsoka show like didn't you you've met other mandalorians yeah, you've met two and a half other man, uh, three and a half other Mandalorians. Like, calm down. Uh, yes,
1: so, so like, there's just tons of ye- yellow and red flags that like she is either uh, purposefully lying or she's just wrong about a ton of shit. And uh, the audience has the context clues to like pick up on that if they're if they're looking for it.
2: I found the statement, uh, oh man, everybody makes such a big deal of the Empire, and it was only around for 30 years. Very funny. Oh, that was Just, great. As a, as a Legends fan, I found it to be very funny, because this has been one of my consistent complaints with Legends, is Legends, especially the pre-Empire stuff, wanted to treat things in these broad swaths of hundreds of thousands of years. And the biggest deal was made about the Galactic Empire, which was around for 30, which I find super hilarious. Like, it was barely a footnote. When you have things like, oh, the Sith Empire lasted for uh, 3,000 years or whatever, and it's like, well, then why would anybody care about this other empire? Especially since... Uh, in the Legends timeline, they basically put the Republic back and it's basically the same and continues working. I,
1: to that, I will say, like, we're all gays. How long was Reagan president? Eight years? And like, every major problem that our country is facing right now, I think, can pretty easily be traced back to the Reagan administration. And so like, if you had given Reagan 30 years, like how much could he have fucked things up? Pretty bad. Um So, you know, 30 years is a long term in, uh, like one uh really like hands.
2: Oh yeah, I hadn't even thought about it that way. It's like, yeah, exactly. And this is one thing that I love about the sequels as opposed to the old Legends timeline. Mm -hmm. Because the old Legends timeline, it really did all just kind of go back to normal. And the sequels is like, especially like some of the supplementary material around that, like Claudia Gray's Bloodline, showing that like, no, actually, you, you can't just put things back to normal after the Empire has spent 30 years fucking up the entire galaxy.
1: If you haven't read Bloodlines, my little pitch, dear listener, is there's a scene where Leia is meeting in a conservative politician's office. He's a young, handsome conservative politician, and he happens to be a history buff who collects Galactic Empire memorabilia and puts it on display in his office. And Leia is like fucking furious that there's like <laughs> moth uniforms and imperial guard helmets like in pristine condition on his shelves and shit and she's like these fuckers blew up my planet like fuck right. you and is like frothing at the mouth and it's like yes Leia get him no, this book is so good uh, so this book is Goody so read it's very good
2: yeah Bradley maybe you can get the audiobook version of it yeah, uh, there you go yeah it's so good like it's
1: just older leia being badass the whole time it's great yeah
2: Yeah. it's it's incredible like the whole book showing just how like the politics of the galaxy is changing but also on a personal level how people are relating to each other and like this guy is like he was never really harmed by the empire i don't even think he was really around for it he he,
1: he was like five or six
2: he was like five or six he doesn't really remember it so he sees nothing wrong with collecting like these scout trooper helmets and things, and Leia walks into his office. And is like, what the fuck? I used to fight these, so you could have this office, right? Like, what is wrong with you? It's it's such a good scene. It's such a good book. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, pair up with Resistance uh, Resistance Reborn, finishing out that storyline to a certain extent. It it's it's good. The sequel trilogy books are actually really good. I. I did like how they mentioned that Tarvisla uh, forges the Darksaber a thousand years ago, because I will be pedantic about this until the day I die. In Rebels, they specifically say that the Jedi Temple was sacked during the fall of the Old Republic. And that's when the Mandalorians stole the Darksaber back. Which means that sometime in the last thousand years, the old republic fell and became the Galactic Republic. It's that recent.
1: Another another Tarvisla fact. This was pointed out by my co-host Ryan. To date, the only point where Tarvisla was referred to as Mandalore was a Forces of Destiny short, and now this episode. So in Rebels, he's only said to have been a Mandalorian and a Jedi. And then it was a Forces of Destiny short that said he was Mandalore and a Jedi. And then to pick up that continuity this episode, someone had to have watched that Forces of Destiny short, which I think is just really cool.
2: That someone probably being Dave Filoni. Well, yeah. Dave Filoni has probably just watched and read everything. Everything. No, I've, I thought that was a really interesting line when they were talking about, oh, was it forged a thousand years ago? And I'm like, the Old Republic transitioned to the Galactic Republic, because it always irks me when things like Mandalorian Season 2 conflate the Old Republic with the Galactic Republic. And it's like, you no, know, they're two different time periods. And now we have like the High Republic in the middle of that, also stand in the High Republic. It's very gay.
1: You have to think, though, like who of these people are like fucking history teachers? Like, like... I, I studied like ancient history with like rome and early christianity and stuff like that and israel but like two thousand years three thousand years one thousand. like once you get to a certain point unless you're like a history buff like how long ago was, did jesus live like i don't you know like who cares so they're probably like oh tariff's like a thousand years ago the higher probably the older probably eh. yeah
0: it's like the same time <laughs>
2: There is a, uh, yeah, there is a, a guy in one of, I think another one of Claudia Gray's books who's like a Clone Wars historian living during the Empire. This is another plug to read more stuff by Claudia
0: Gray. Next up, Paz and Din put together the forge when the armorer tells Din he must destroy the Beskar spear. During this, she gives us a brief history of bo and we see the Knight of Thousand Tears. Mando helps wield Grogu, weld Grogu a gift. So
2: I definitely, definitely, when he said Moff Gideon will face justice for his crimes, in my head went, narrator voice, he would not face justice for his crimes.
0: <laughs> <laughs>
1: Can't waste that actor. He's so good. Right, yeah, a little
0: definitely. bit of even, if right he,
2: even if he does think uh, Moff Gideon's first name is Moff, which I find very funny i brought this up before like people on twitter were like shitting on him for this one interview where he was referring to him as moth and like does he think that's his first name and i'm like okay first of all you cannot expect everyone who's involved in a star wars to like be an ultra nerd about it it's nice when they are but you can't expect them to be and second of all the man is a fucking legend. Like, leave him alone. If dude wants to say that Moff Gideon's first name is Moff, his first name is Moff. He's just really appropriately named.
1: Also, like, English isn't his first language, too. So, like, how, like, you know, like, is, is this a Star Wars word? Or is this, like, his name, like, Luke is, like, Luke's name? You know, you know like, mm-hmm. I always, I feel like when someone's speaking multiple languages, you can give them a pass for, like, a really forgivable flub like that. It's easy to not be a dick.
2: It is, but you know what? This is Star Wars Twitter. We don't yeah. know what not being a dick is. We see the chance to be a dick and we immediately pod race directly into it because we are the worst.
1: So Din in this scene asking the armor about Bo-Katan uh, really felt like uh, when a gay person is trying to uh, get the feel of Either a family member before they come out, or maybe after they've met a new friend, and they're like, "Hey, what, uh, what do you think of uh, that, that Jeopardy player, Amy? You know, she she just won a bunch of a uh, bunch of Jeopardy, huh? Like, uh, oh, she's trans, yeah. Huh? What do you think about trans pe- trans people, huh? <laughs> or uh, like, you know, like, hey, yeah. like, what, what are your thoughts on Elton John? Like, do you like Elton John? <laughs> Have you seen the movie The What is what what do you think about that? And
2: uh, it's,
1: oh, bo yeah, yeah. What, what do you know about Boca Tan? Hmm, yeah, yeah, strange. Hmm, yeah, she takes her helmet off. Hmm, yeah. I haven't I taken my helmet it. off, but like, yeah, it's weird that sure. she takes her helmet off. <laughs>
2: hmm, that's, that, yeah, that's, I... Oh, I love that interpretation of that scene because now that you mentioned it, it is basically like, and the answer that the armorer gives is so fucking warped too. Mm -hmm. Like you can obviously tell that she's like couching this answer in like her Mandalorian Creed doctrine of like, oh, because she accepted the Darksaber without combat, that was bad. And also her family was bad uh, by moving us away from... Uh, The Mandalorian thing, because something that doesn't get brought up enough, I feel like, especially in the wake of season two, this is like a splinter group of Death Watch. Mm -hmm. Mm. That like, you could look at them and go, oh, neat, Mandalorians. Very specifically, these are people who were too extreme for Death Watch.
1: Bo was Death Watch. Like, ride or die, she was hardcore Death Watch. Bo did the Uh, war crimes. Yeah, a lot of war crimes. So uh, we know that Din was rescued by people in Death Watch Arbor. We know that she's got the Maul helmet and uh, uh, a Vizsla is with them. So like, yeah, this is Death Watch through and through. And of course she would hate bo because bo splintered off from Death Watch.
2: Yeah, and I, one thing too about the sequence of this scene, you mentioned the spear earlier, the Beskar spear. And I said, put a pen in that. Uh, we will come back to that in later on. Well, now we're going to take the pen out of that because the second time I watched the scene, I went, Oh, she's manipulating the fuck out of him to destroy this spear. Right. She doesn't want this spear to exist because her reasons are real flimsy. Cause she's like, um, well, uh, you know, the idea that there's a Beskar weapon that, uh, one is a threat to me because it can pierce uh, our Beskar armor, which does not make sense on a physics level, I'm pretty sure, but okay, sure, go off, I guess. But she's also like, oh, it's like an affront, it's an abomination, it shouldn't exist, let's let's get rid of it. Uh, the Darksabers, you know, the Darksaber is better for you anyway. Like
1: I thought she was going to stab him with it. I was like, yeah. "Oh, it's dual time right now," and I was wrong. She she did not. She did melt it down, but uh, yeah, I'm going to see it go.
2: It's very like you're not really gay. You'll find a nice woman eventually. Yeah, that she was kind being of thing.
1: she was being super sus about it though. You were totally right.
2: She had some reason for wanting this thing gone, and maybe it genuinely was like it conflicted with her beliefs about the Mandalorian creed. And then she is kind of pushing him to get rid of it which i i do not like the armor very
0: much yeah i you know what's funny is watching this scene made me think like I think she might be the actual villain of season three like it's I think they were tricking us this whole time into thinking like oh it's Moff Gideon is, there, is the villain of the Mandalorian and it's like mm, I don't think so I think maybe the armorer is the overarching villain of the whole entire show like it's like why is she so manipulative?
1: <laughs> so. so back in season two, I thought for sure that she was going to be the main villain of Din's story. Um, after watching this, I was talking to Ryan about it, uh, co-host Ryan. And he thinks that she might still be working with the Pikes because Death Watch and the Pikes had an alliance in the Clone Wars. Mm. And that she might be like causing all of the shitstorm on Tatooine too, which... Who, who knows? I think that's a wild theory, but uh, I thought it was worth mentioning.
0: No, I mean, it is because when I, yes, last week I brought up the fact that like, hey, maybe the way that they connect into to the Boba story is that the covert is hiding on Tatooine is what I kind of came up with. And I think now that you say that, it's kind of like, hmm, maybe her, like, her real plan was never to be like, do this do that or whatever it's like let's restart mandalore on tatooine and like make this the new hub for all mandalorians or like at least the correct mandalorians
1: yeah if your cult got wiped out and you need to recruit a bunch of new members and you need like money selling space heroin
2: that'll do, do, do it And and i have another sort of Perspective on it because if you look at it in terms of well, Den has the dark saber now, and Den is also like met with Bo-Katan, and like he's very clearly trending in a direction of hmm, Den might actually be instrumental to bringing Mandalore back. If he doesn't do it in the specific way that the Armorer wants, that's going to be a problem for her. And we see in this episode that she exerts a lot of influence over him but he's also trying, I mean, he may not even realize it, to break free from that influence. And that's going to be a conflict. Din is somebody who's found himself in a position to make decisions on behalf of Mandalore. And he's got a bunch of people on different sides trying to influence that decision. He's got the armorer, he's got Bo-Katan, he's got Moff Gideon. And Din's like, Man, I just want to go home and watch the Equalizer and play with my kid. Like, I don't want to be here doing this. Why are you asking me this?
1: We we see her exerting a lot of soft power and hard power over him this episode and in these scenes. But we also see Din pushing back quite a bit. We Like, him fishing for her opinion on Bo-Katan is definitely him questioning things and then you know him standing up for himself with the decision to not kill Gideon things like that like we see Din taking small rebellious steps in this faith community that he knows he's maybe not welcome in anymore yet and he's not willing to fully come to terms with it yet but we see him like sowing those seeds which are going to get you know, kind of against his will, brought up in the next scene.
2: A couple of little minor notes before we talk about the big thing that uh, I personally am dying to talk about. Uh, once again, the mythosaur is mentioned, uh, further lending credence to my theory that uh, the series will end with and writing a mythosaur, uh, possibly alongside Boba Fett writing his rancor, uh, yeah. which would be the most awesome thing and then we get a little more information on like what's actually in the creed bradley you and i were talking a lot about like what's in the creed exactly right like what's actually in it we get a little more information and we also find out what the way actually is the mandalorian creed apparently is big on like loyalty and solidarity which makes sense looking at like sabine's storyline from Rebels and the storyline in the clone wars it makes a lot of sense but it also makes sense how that could be perverted and taken to religious extremes Mm -hmm. by the Armorer and her cult so i i thought that was really interesting that he directly says loyalty and solidarity are the way and he also makes a point that it's the opposite of the jedi mandalorians are all about attachment the jedi are all about you need to be able to let go which as we see in this episode den can't let go yeah, so let's talk about the Night of a Thousand Tears. Uh, Andy, how, how are you feeling over there, having just watched all of the Mandalorian stuff? How, how are you feeling watching fucking Sundari blow up?
1: So I was feeling very vindicated, if only because Ryan and I had a fierce debate about when the Night of a Thousand Tears took place. And uh, he was pretty insistent that it had to have happened directly after the Siege of Mandalore. And I was very insistent that it had to have happened after Clone Wars season, or after Rebels season four. So uh, it's pretty clear I was right and he was wrong. And that's all I care about. Fuck Mandalore. Fuck those people. Fuck them kids. I was right. Ryan was wrong. It's a good day for me.
2: The important thing is, can you have a moment to gloat to something about something to your podcast co-host. Yeah. Can I take this as an opportunity to shit on the person I talk to for multiple hours a week?
1: Uh, I was right about the atrocity, and that's all that matters. Congrats,
2: uh, congratulations on being correct about the war crimes.
1: Well, we 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 kind of we've been dancing around the side of a thousand tears for quite a while now, and we know that uh, people seem to think that Mandalore is inhospitable now. So we knew something bad had to have happened. And uh, seeing uh, it in like a horror Terminator shot with the uh, fucking K2 droids walking and the, the, uh, the fucking drone bots yeah. flying overhead and the, the bombers. It's, Jesus, it's, yeah. it's really horrific looking. Uh, very, very scary. Very spooky
0: it's also the, like one of the most beautiful and horrifying shots in star wars i've ever seen like it's so pretty like and deserving at the same time
1: yeah all the like mushroom clouds it's like yeah coming up, oh it, god
0: yeah, yeah it
2: like they managed to capture the horror of wanton slaughter in just a few shots from just how Bryce Ellis Howard was able to to visually show it in this episode and like they don't have to they don't have to show you all these people dying you just have to see Sundari blow up and your first thought is oh death star looking thing go boom and then you're like oh shit that was a city
1: well and it's it's only droids because we know the surface you can't people can't live on it now And so it's just these droids carrying out the rest of this slaughter and this genocide because the the surface has been completely wiped out.
2: If you look at it like on the ground, it looks like there's like small settlements and stuff outside of Sundari. Or it might be like there's settlements or something outside there that they bomb outside and then they blow up Sundari. That did irk me a little bit because, yeah, you're not supposed to be able to live out there. But we see in rebels, you can breathe out there. It's not a question of well, in hospitals, I think, nothing's there.
1: No, I was talking about in Mandalore at some or sorry, in the Mandalorian at some point, Din oh. they talk about the planet, and Din is like, no one can live on Mandalore anymore. It's it's been completely destroyed by the Empire and people can't like go there now. And we see in the night of a thousand tears, it's only droids
2: dro- fucking nukes on it.
1: Yeah, it's only droids walking around because even I'm assuming even the stormtroopers uh, wouldn't have been able to like survive the devastation that the empire did.
2: I didn't even realize. I just went, "Oh, oh, those are the K-2 droids. I know what that is." And I didn't even realize, "Oh, they dropped nukes on it, and that thing is radioactive. That's just a big ball of radioactivity at this right. point. Like that's extremely fucked up, actually." <laughs> what the fuck galactic empire
0: yeah and you wonder why they were so influential for 30 years
2: there so, you go Patties. yeah it's almost like the fascist regime is bad actually <laughs> like that's the point of it right. that's the fucking point so yeah bradley uh i did check your bingo card and you you can cross Mandalore off I... of your bingo card What's shocking is i also... wasn't ex- you can also cross Mandalor off of existing.
0: Right, I was gonna say I wasn't expecting um, this episode to check that box off, um, which is strange because we definitely got it in a different way than I was expecting. But hey, I'll take it. That's totally fine. Now all I need is a uh, you know little baby Jabba Junior, Stinky to show up, and I got a bingo. So you got close, <laughs> this close so to a bingo. Close. Which is hilarious because again, one of the most random ones on my bingo card that I thought I was never really gonna get, and I thought some of the other ones were such softballs compared to this one. I thought this was like one of those really hard ones that I was just never gonna get, but it's like okay, like let's do it.
2: Yeah, I noticed your placement of it. It's in like the second to the second to the the left from the bottom. It's like it's
0: it in like a the place second that, to last that you one,
2: wouldn't yeah. expect it to get hit. Mm-hmm. And they're like, nope, nope, we're we're zapping Mandalore, which is pretty amazing. Getting them. Getting them. yeah. as as somebody who's been revisiting Mandalore through various means, I watched through Rebels with my boyfriend again. Um, I've been listening to about eight hundred thousand podcasts, um, many of them discussing Mandalore. The moment I saw them detonate Sundari, like I audibly gasped. And, and you need to understand that I stayed up to watch this episode during what is probably one of the most stressful weeks I've had in a very long time. So I, it wasn't eliciting a lot of reactions from me, but that one was an audible gasp. Just because, holy shit, I thought TIE Bombers were cool, but now I am terrified of them. I am absolutely terrified of them. The last note I have for this sequence um is well I have two uh, I was wondering what the armor was making for Grogu because we never actually see it but then I was also noticing that the little bag she ties up looks like a little Grogu.
0: Yeah, it was really cute. They they I think they focus on it more on the plane ride and uh a, a couple scenes from now but it does look like his head. It's adorable. Um I don't know if that was purposeful or not, but then we do kind of see what they're making because we see the little chains dropping when she's making stuff. So like you said before, Andy, that it was the chain. He's getting like a little chain mail or something. I I thought- when, little myth pearl shirt. Right. I thought when they were first making the thing, I thought he was going to make him like a little lightsaber hilt. But then I was like, oh, wait, she wouldn't make him a weapon because she had just said that it was a weapon, so you can't make a weapon out of veskar So I thought that was weird. I thought maybe lightsaber that was cool. cool. I thought that's what it was going to be. But then I was like, well, wait, there's no crystal, so how the fuck is he going to give him a lightsaber? So I don't know. It would be interesting if he gives him the crystal to the darksaber as his lightsaber, but that wouldn't really, like, I don't know if that necessarily would, like, fit with the, like, you know, he's cute and everything, but
2: Give Grogu the dark saber, Right. <laughs> or Grogu, Grogu like force pulls the Darksaber to him and technically that's winning it in combat.
0: There you uh, so
2: now Grogu is the ruler of Mandalore.
0: Up next, Mando practices sparring with the Darksaber until Paz Vizsla challenges him to a duel. Din wins the duel, thus keeping his saber, but admits he removed his helmet and isn't welcome back to the covert. The Armorer says that the only way to repent is to baptize himself on Mandalore, thus giving us some of the plot to Mando season three. Uh, I didn't check,
2: but I'm pretty sure that's Mandoa that they're speaking when when she's like calling out like maybe their numbers or something. Mm-hmm. I don't know, but. Uh, I have a complicated relationship with Mandoa because as previously stated, I do not care for Karen Travis in the slightest, especially her writing and what she came up with for the Mandalorians. I do, however, think Mandoa sounds very cool.
1: We've scrubbed every other bit of her contribution to Star Wars. Like if all that survives of her work is Mandoa in the new canon, I guess I'm fine with it. But I would have even been fine if they made up a new language for
2: them. I I do love the line: "Persistence without insight will lead to the same outcome." Just I love that line in general.
1: the The training fight is really fun, um, and this idea that like lightsabers do have weight to them, and as you spiritually connect and like center yourself, the crystal gets lighter. Like, that's some good shit that Rebels established, and to see that, like, continue into live action, especially with someone who, as far as we know, is not Force-sensitive, learning to use lightsaber. Very cool stuff. Yeah, it and also, I was actually gonna...
0: It also leads credits to the fact that, like, I guess some people bring up the fact sometimes, like, well, why can't anybody just have a lightsaber? and that answers that question like Mm -hmm. because they literally physically cannot hold it because they don't have the connection with the crystal
2: and we see every time we see somebody who is not a jedi wielding a lightsaber it is very clumsy and half-hazard like han solo uses it in empire strikes back and he looks it feels like he's so weird holding it Mm -hmm. Like, he doesn't quite know how to hold it. Cian Holt in the Trail of Shadows issue that just came out. Spoilers for Trail of Shadows number four if you haven't read it. Uh, But Cian Holt briefly wields a lightsaber, and, like, she's basically just flailing it around. Like, girl, I love you, but you do not have finesse with that thing.
1: I think the lightsaber fight between old Ben and Vader is perfectly fine. I think it like it serves its purpose in the narrative. I'm not one of those people that's like, why isn't this more badass? But if you needed a reason for why it wasn't more badass, it's because both Vader and Ben are completely thrown out of balance by seeing each other again and therefore their lightsabers are heavier
0: mm. and they're moving slower. Interesting. I would have never thought of it that way. I, I love the
2: contrast to just Sabine who, as she trains with Kanan, the dark saber gets lighter that as she continues to train and connect with it, she gets lighter. And then as he trains, it gets heavier because he's fighting against it. The Darksaber is almost alive in a way, which we know kyber crystals are alive to an extent. It's everybody Everybody else saw that Paz Vizsla was going to try to claim the Darksaber coming, right? Oh, oh yeah. yeah.
0: The second they were talking about how it was like his family, his ancestor was the one who fucking created the damn thing. He was like, huh, maybe I should take that back. Yep. It, it,
1: it's amazing how these helmets, there's no expression, but like as he tilts his head, you can like emote, you can read emotions into it. And it's like, oh, that fucker's hungry.
2: He's like, oh, oh, he's about to do uh, what every Visla voice by John Favreau has done and go for the fucking Darksaber. Yeah, that's. That was obvious. Uh, good fight, yeah. Great fight, fun. Uh, I need to confess some brain rot here to you. Uh, so there's this very emotional scene. Uh, where Den reveals that he took his helmet off, and he is cast out of the covert, and it's a very traumatic moment for him because truly it is the moment where he has lost everything he has lost grogu his real family that accepts him and now he has lost the covert his weird religious pseudo family uh that is not a good environment for him but the only thing i could think of was that Paz Vizla used the word apostate and i went oh god not din and blood mage from dragon age Yes, Andy is wearing a major rights activist shirt in the Zoom call. Uh yeah, no, the word apostate my brain rod immediately said and I went, "Oh my god, not Din Djarin and Anders parallels. <laughs> Please don't pull in Anders, Din. i love you too much for that."
1: I I love Dragon Age. I met my fiance through Dragon Age cosplay. Yeah. Dragon Age rules. So yeah. When, when apostate got thrown out there, uh, my brain did immediately like flash uh, to the Dragon Age games.
2: Yeah. It's, it's amazing how you see a word again, out of context and you're just like, Oh, I am immediately thinking of this other thing. And like, I could go off all day about the the Dragon Age Star Wars comparisons, but I, I definitely know because I knew Andy was a fan of, Dragon Age, that I had to bring up, my immediate thought was, oh, Din Djarin's on the run from the circle. Probably should look out for those Templars there, buddy. Circles suck. Uh, the circles were bad, and Vivian was wrong. And expect me to hear, expect to hear me bitch more about Vivian during the Obi Wan Kenobi show when Indira Varma shows up, where I will complain at length about this character from Dragon Age that I absolutely despise fuck vivian that's my psa <laughs> uh
1: this scene hit me uh square in the fields as uh someone who has a lot of religious trauma uh with my uh gender and sexuality and uh i used to be a pastor uh before i came out and so um this idea of being part of a faith community and like having to keep part of yourself a secret and then knowing that like, if he gets asked directly, he won't be able to lie, but he's not going to bring it up himself. Like that really hit home. And then like his worst fear is realized and he's direct to like, have you removed your helmet? And he can't bring like the shame of it. He can't bring himself to answer it but he can't lie either. So he's just like awkwardly standing there and like his silence is, you know, enough to damn him and excommunicate him for it. And just the vitriol that Vizsla, you know, calls him an apostate. It was just like, oh, my gay heart, my gay heart and this religious trauma on this good, good Mando boy.
2: Uh, We know from the first season of the mandalorian that this is just kind of a thing they do and in retrospect it takes on a much darker meaning because we realize now that it's it's essentially a regular purity test that she does it's it's like meant to be like an affirmation to the group of yes i am loyal to the group and i have always always done things the correct way And I am feeling good about having done things the correct way. And when he can't answer that he's done things the correct way, the immediate response on their part is kicking him out. And like what got me was when she says, you're not a Mandalorian anymore. And he's like, his next response is he's desperate to be like, okay, but how do I fix this? How do I how do I get forgiveness? How do I undo this? She gives him this like impossible task. She's like you've got to go bathe yourself in the waters of Mandalore. Okay, Mandalore is a like fucking radioactive rock and you know it is. You know he can't do that. Right. But you're so committed to your beliefs over someone that you literally raised from childhood. What the fuck the armor that's not cool.
1: The, the desperation to like find a way back in and tell yourself that there's a way back in is, is very real. After I came out and I, I left my church and, um, I moved away. I checked out a couple of churches down in Maryland, which is where I moved to. And, uh, I started semi going to one and, uh, the people I had made friends with knew I was gay, but no one else did. And then I showed up one Sunday and I knew everyone knew. I knew that everyone knew I was gay and just the, the energy was totally different. The way everyone was looking at me was totally different. The way everyone talked to me was totally different. I was like, Oh shit. uh, I'm not safe here. And it turns out I wasn't. And I got the fuck out um, because they tried to cast a gay demon out of me after locking me in a room. Evangelicals are weird. Um, Oof. so like Din, Din, desperately trying to be like, "How do I get back in?" Just like, "No, honey, honey, no!" Like, yeah. "You're good. Go, go back to your gay friends. You take the Kremlitz off. Like, you can be a Mandalorian over there. They're chill." Um, but like, I also totally get the, like, I'm going to keep trying to like make this work until I know it can And like that moment happened for me. I knew I could not make it work after that, and I never went back uh to any church and uh like din is gonna have to have that moment with this cult he's gonna have to have that moment of like me trying to fit into the box that they say i have to belong in will never ever work and if they can't accept the shape that i am then like fuck it
2: yeah absolutely and after this sequence i, I said earlier but i'll reiterate like din really does have nothing at this point he's lost grogu uh he went back to the mandalorians and now the mandalorians are rejecting him so like a question that he's gonna have to ask himself going into mando season three and i'm kind of glad we got this out of the way here i think book of boba suffers for it but i think mando season three will be stronger for it the underlying question of mando season three is going to be who is and when he's not a part of this mandalorian covert and he's not uh Grogu's parent
1: and what do you do when you're a gay single dad and your kid has gone off to charter school and you've just gotten kicked out of your cult and your cowboy boyfriend is busy protecting his town <laughs> you go buy a hot rod
2: truly really? you go going- and got
1: nothing you go buy a goddamn fucking uh, hot rod his
2: you boyfriend go, I can't. you go you go you go and buy a hot rod and then you take a job from your lesbian friend, who is way more put together than you are. Oh my let's God. be real. Stand up real fast. Is that fucking Grogu on your shirt? Yes. Love it. How did I go an hour and 23 minutes into podcast recording before I noticed that you had fucking Grogu on your shirt? Yeah, it's my Mandalorian shirt. Oh, my goodness. But I
0: tie-dyed it with bleach, so it's like a different, like, you know, pattern.
2: Wow. So. Wow. Well, I, I need psychiatric help or sleep uh, <laughs> or probably just sleep. Wow. All right. Go ahead and take us into the next sequence.
0: Once Mando leaves the covert, he must go through airport security. His public transport ship lands on Tatooine. Here, Pelimoto returns with a cute new droid and tells Mando she found a replacement for the Razor Crest.
2: Gee, there sure are a lot of passenger ships popping up in Book of Boba Fett. (laughs) I wonder if Disney is piloting a new passenger ship related thing.
0: I'm telling you, dude, if they would just include the same exact fucking one for just, it doesn't even have to be on screen for more than a second. You could literally just be like 30 seconds of like, wow, that was such a great time I had on the, I think the ship's going to be called like the Hakon or something. The Halcyon. It's called the Halcyon. Okay, literally you could have that be in canon, like have someone get off of that ship and be like, that was the best experience I've ever had on a transport ship. That's all they have to say. And then be like, oh shit, we can go on the one that was in Book of Boba. Let's do that.
1: I don't have much to say here, but I do love the trope of you have to put all your weapons in this bin and then it's like a 30 second sequence of someone removing way too many weapons. That gets me every time. I love that gag. And uh, pelimoto's great.
2: I thought, honest to God, I thought that Den was going to miss the flight. <laughs> like he was going to take so long disembarking his, his weapons. Right. that The ship was going to take off without him. <laughs> and he was going to put the last one in there and the door was going to close. I honestly thought that's where the gag was going. It's pretty funny. So Bradley, I have a bone to pick with you about something you just said. You said new droid, which is technically correct in that it is a new droid for Pelimoto. Uh, but a BD series unit is not a new droid okay, overall. Okay. Well, now you're just doing
0: semantics.
2: Okay. I am. I am mostly for an excuse to yell at you. A
1: little
2: tappy dance. The little t- okay. So BD1 is the little droid from Fallen Order. And it, fun fact, actually, and this is canon. This is 100% canon. Uh, The BD and BD1 actually stand for best droid. That's not actually canon, but I am insisting that it is. And one day I will get Matt Martin to agree with me on Twitter, and then I will be
0: right. Well, what's funny is I saw this droid, and I knew what it was because I knew that you like the character or whatever from Fallen Order, and I know that he has this droid. And I was like, when i saw this i like for one hot second i thought he was going to show up in this scene for some reason
2: i would lose my goddamn mind if i got cameron monahan on screen as cal kestis in they any... got the
1: actor he looks exactly the same like
2: he's right there like maybe he'll like... show up in kenobi i don't know
0: so well how would it work? How would it work like how old he is? Like so how old is he in fallen, like what timeline? Like how does so that so work? they would
2: have to they'd have to age him up. So it'd have uh, to be like older Calcastus in the Mandalorian time period.
1: Fallen yeah. Order takes place a few years before Rogue One. Uh, and you can kind of judge the timeline based on how old Saul Guerrera is in it.
2: It's I want to say like five or six bby maybe like like around around rebels season one maybe a little before rebel season one i would have to check he's like he's
1: like a young lad during order 66 and then this feels like 10 to like 13 years after that
0: so would you say he's like teens like he's a teen like 16 he's
1: like a young adult he's like maybe in his 20s
0: Oh, okay. i actually uh have the
2: timeline of canon media bookmarked uh because <laughs> i am an insane person
1: and uh, also i i hate time in star wars it doesn't exist and trying to fit it all in a timeline is is bad it's really bad because <laughs> people are like oh well the clone wars is three years it's only three years because when duh, 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 they said it was three years, and it's like there's no way clone, like there's no way the clone wars as a whole right. was a three-year-long conflict because Anakin is a knight by the time he has Ahsoka, but he is a Padawan at the start of the Clone Wars. So that means substantial stuff had to take place before he got knighted. Right. And then he's a knight for some time on his own before he gets Ahsoka. So you mean to tell me that he had Ahsoka as his Padawan for only two years?
2: So Jedi Fallen, sense. Jedi Fallen Order, I have the answer. Jedi Fallen Order takes place in 14 BBY. It is approximately nine years before the events of Star Wars Rebels. Okay. And it is about okay. five years after uh, the events of Revenge of the Sith he
1: seems so little during Order 66. And he seems so much older by the game. See, this is why time is dumb in time Star Wars. Does, is, time is dumb
2: and doesn't time is
1: dumb in Star Wars. Events take as long as right. they need to for emotional impact and thematic
0: growth. That's, there you go. Well, I was, that sounds like so can the yeah. actor still play him in theoretically the Ahsoka oh, show? You could
2: you age so him though. up. Sure. Y- yeah, well, do you even have to age back him back up? Back just,
0: just say he's 40. You know what I mean? Because clearly yeah. Bo-Katan is 70 <laughs> Or whatever the fuck she is Steve in this the, show. Right? Exactly.
1: So, Time doesn't matter. Like, Throw a beard anyway. on him if you have to, but right. other, like, you don't even have oh, to.
0: Oh, yeah, there you go. Give him facial hair that shows age, so then there you go. You'd be like, oh, he's got facial hair, so he must be older.
2: <laughs> yeah. Uh, be- Give him a scar.
0: <laughs> yeah, can Oh, my scar.
2: God. Yeah, if if uh if fucking Cal Kestis shows up in I honestly thought he was going to show up in the Bad Batch. But when we were going to Baraka and the Bad Batch is just like the cameo show all the way down. I thought Cal Kestis was going to show up as one of the scrappers on Baraka. Hmm. And then he they didn't my, do it.
1: He was my top pick for Grogu get Grogu daycare. I thought for sure he was going to be the Jedi who showed up to get Grogu.
2: Interesting. Oh, uh wrong. yeah. Yeah, Cameron Monaghan, uh, call me. I, I I know you're straight, but, you know, you can still call me. He's yeah. an actor. <laughs> that is true. That is true. He is an actor. We know what Tom Hardy said about actors.
1: Actors are like X-Men. They're all kind of uh, flexible.
2: <laughs> oh, God, I hope so. Anyway, <laughs> moving on. Right. Bradley, how, how are you feeling there, buddy, with the... Uh, with the n1 nabu starfighter
0: um holy and shit (laughs) i mean when i saw that thing first of all whose idea whose idea was this to include this beautiful beautiful ship from my childhood into (laughs) this fucking show like who do i need to thank who do i need to write a letter to dear mr royal hampton Thank you for putting this in Star Wars.
2: God, and it's love for the Phantom Menace, too. I, it, There's so many Phantom Menace references in the back half of this episode that it's just like a love letter to this movie. Like, it's so meta, too, because you can
0: have pit droids putting it together. Like It's like, what the fuck? Are you kidding me? Like,
2: I didn't even realize the pit droids were, oh, uh, yes. yeah, because they're just a thing that exists in the universe. Right, and so now it's, they're it's, putting
0: it together
1: it's really good it's really really good
0: uh one last thing i have for this scene was um the uh, bryce dallas howard connection ha 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 uh, are you gonna get it
2: right this time
0: this time i have it right because <laughs> savage <laughs> uh it's a jurassic park reference. yeah
2: welcome welcome to gold squadron guys.
0: <laughs> it's a jurassic park reference um i love how the uh that is being attacked by something. We don't see what it is. You see it in the uh, um, the artwork at the end, what the thing was that was causing all this ruckus in her uh, shop that they're all so afraid of. Um, and it looks like a giant fucking womp rat. And
2: then she eats it.
0: <laughs> of course she
2: honestly, does. Honestly, and this is one of the two other notes I had for this sequence up to where the montage starts. One is, is just let, just let Amy Sedaris mug in this character for a while, because honestly, every time she's allowed to just go off, it is the funniest shit I've seen in ages. so good, so good.
0: Uh,
2: My final note is, I love that we get references to The Phantom Menace and The Last Jedi in the same sequence. Uh, That is just personally designed to make me happy. John, I know you listen to the show, so thank you for doing that. <laughs> uh, it almost makes up for the flamethrower in episode one of Book of Boba Fett. Almost, but not quite.
0: And, the, and then, of course, the inevitable flamethrower in the finale as well. That'll happen. Fuck me. God.
2: <laughs> fucking flipped. God, the fucking flamethrower. Shit's going to show up in the finale, yeah.
0: Oh, yeah, I'm already seeing, like, I can see it in my brain. If if Mando stays throughout this whole entire rest of the show, is going to be dual flamethrower. Oh to God! Back, no! And they're going to be no, in a circle and no, they're going to spin in a no, circle. And they're gonna shut <laughs> up. Do not speak this
2: into existence. Oh my God! Happened. I'm calling Stop. it now. No! 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 I no bad enough. I have to deal with one fucking flamethrower on my screen right. at a time. No! No! <laughs> I do not want to have to deal with two of them. <laughs> this is getting out of hand. Now there are two of them.
0: It'll happen. Always two there are.
2: No. 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 I reject this. Please move on.
0: Up next, Peli and Mando begin to fix up the Starfighter together when a group of Jawas bring them some parts. Montage ensues, and Mando now has a new ride. I love that you could fucking
2: Amazon wish list the Jawas.
0: <laughs> They're just like, I love that. First of all, I love Peli has just like this weird like connection to them first of all we'll talk about that in a second second of all like she's so well connected to them that she's just like hey can you guys get me this thing and they're like yeah sure we can get it also she can speak java which is i love that she is like this <laughs> computer of just every alien language ever
2: i do love in the show when they demonstrate that someone has taken the time to learn to communicate with another species or another group of people on equal footing. I love every, like Dan with the Tuscans in Mando season one, where he's talking to them in sign language or here where Pelimoto is speaking to the Jawas. Yeah, it's funny to watch Amy Sedaris try to do the Jawa sounds, but I do actually appreciate that someone has learned to speak to the Jawas in their own language. They can very clearly understand what she's saying when she speaks in galactic basic but she chooses to speak to them in their own language and i think that's pretty cool mm-hmm. of her uh also uh super open-minded apparently
0: heli <laughs> <laughs> moto has fucked a jaw that is canon so let's put that out there did and also they're expect, hairy
2: did not expect last week uh when i was talking about how Black Chrysanthemum might have turned me into a monster fucker. I uh, did not expect that Pelimoto uh, was also on that team.
0: Good company. Truly. I. She's, she's clearly our pansexual queen. Like, I'm assuming that's what it would be.
1: I think you can still be straight and want to fuck an alien. So...
2: Yeah, that raises the question of sexualities. Like, Vice Admiral Holdo states in leia princess of alderaan that she finds what is it she finds human males limiting mm. like vice admiral holdo is pansexual because gender and nothing matters to her she'll just go for whatever but she talks about how like oh you need to broad because leia always goes for human males and Holdo is like you need to broaden out a little bit honey you're missing out
1: can you imagine how great the sex toys in star wars must be
2: oh my god
1: i would imagine
2: it's like vile technology yeah it's like the dragon tongue dildos but better
1: from from bad dragon yeah
2: yeah but with sci-fi don't ask this episode bad dragon Dragon, uh if you're listening uh we will take sponsorship money from a lot of people (laughs)
0: from anything we don't care
2: There are are very few limits on what we will take sponsorship money from. Like flamethrowers, for instance. Wow. Yeah, no. Like, again, it seems like it should be a throwaway joke, but it, like, there's other stuff going on there. Like, the jelly that asks her out, and she's like, oh, no, I'm working on myself, but thank you. She's got one of them fancy Star Wars sex toys now. Yeah, you know what? Good for her. Good for her. Good for her. I agree, Kelly Speaking of
1: um, a little bit of everything, this montage has like garbage from the A New Hope Trash compactor. It's got a BD droid. The BD does the scan. It's got a pit droid. We got the scan from the BD droid. We got the like Nabu Chrome that uh captain phasma built her armor out of like we have like all these little pieces and aesthetic connections to all these other eras of star wars it's very cool
2: i didn't even think about it but there's your captain phasma reference bradley is the naboo starfighter is made out of the same type of chrome as the emperor's yacht a melted down emperor's yacht is what phasma's armor is is forged out of there
0: you go
2: there's your fun fact. Uh, you should read Phasma. It's a very good book. Maybe you I'll add get it, to it on Audible now. <laughs>
0: you
2: can get it Audible. on Audible. Please, us. <laughs> Please give us everyone. Give us money to do the show.
0: Yeah, I'm like, wait a minute. Everybody else has like Audible Pod. Our, Audible used to be like the super popular one for a while there. So like, why the hell are they not giving out free sponsorships anymore? Because like, come on.
2: Exactly. Give the money to us. Exactly. Uh, I will show for your service. Uh, in exchange for lots of money and free mark thompson audiobooks i I just love the sequence where she's like made a bunch of modifications to the starfighter and den's like oh but you that would cause this and this and this and then pelly's like oh but i have thought of that because i am the best at this
0: Mm -hmm.
2: i I think that pelly doesn't get a lot of credit for really genuinely being a good mechanic And I think that that little exchange demonstrates how capable she is because it's very easy to just get things to work the way they should. It's much harder to be creative Mm. with your usage of things. And I think that demonstrated exactly how good of a mechanic she is and how well she knows her ships that she was able to do that.
0: I also think uh, she's very clearly setting up the fact that Grogu is going to be sitting in the spot where the droids are supposed to oh. go
2: oh oh yeah
0: yeah no
2: like we all Grogu is going in the little bubble thing oh he's going in the
0: bubble
1: there's there's no room for a bounty but there's room for Grogu
2: right there is there is room for Grogu it's like a it's like a it's yeah. like a mcdonald's play place with a little bubble that he can be in yeah but it's space i do think real fast, uh, there's a the reference to a krill pond. we remember that from the sanctuary episode of Mandalorian that gets brought up here, which I thought was neat. This is the moment that demonstrated to me what this episode could have been. Like this episode was was great, but it could have been something a little bit better. It's when Pelimoto is talking about how bad things have gotten since the pikes moved in. She says it but we don't ever really see it. And I think an opportunity was missed to show from Den and Pelly's perspective what it looks like to be under the Pike occupation in Mos Eisley. Yeah.
1: She should have said that it's been way harder to get parts recently since the Pikes moved in and that they'd have to get creative to fix up the Starfighter. And you could have literally had the same exact montage because she's working with the Jawas and the Jawas are like stealing shit for her but they could have just had a line of dialogue that since the pikes have moved in, it's been way, way harder to get, you know, necessary supplies.
2: Yeah. Cause they have that little line that's like, Oh, the gels are like, Oh, we stole it from a pike, uh, like sand train, which you can kind of infer that, Oh, the sand trains are back. And it, after Boba went to all that effort to get them to stop, but it's a, a bit of a huge stretch. And I feel like it could have been shown more directly or maybe like, Mando wants to leave at one point to go and fetch something himself, and Den is like, or not Den, uh, Peli is like, yeah, you can't really do that right now. Like you yeah. can't go out. You need to stay in the hangar because it's just not safe out there, and and you will get jumped.
0: And I wish she would have also mentioned something along the lines of like, yeah, the new guy in charge. Like she could have been talking to him about Boba. And been like, all this stuff has been happening, you know, since I last saw you. Like, oh, it's all it's been terrible in Tatooine. You know, there's been all this fighting, there's been all these like wookies walking around, like, you know, whatever she she just had to mention stuff, like to kind of tie it all in. And she really just kind of dropped the ball there. But that's not yeah, she
2: was like, uh, yeah, the pikes
0: are there and it sucks. Up next, Mando decides to take his new ride for a spin, giving us hella pod racing vibes. Until he is pulled over by the cops.
2: Now this is pod racing. (laughs)
0: Um, This sequence was arguably, I mean, just even just every little shot was almost like match for match, like from Phantom Menace. Like there was every almost every scene was a match for something else in Phantom Menace up until like even like the guardrails that are still broken on the run like in the same spot that he drives by
2: i never made the connection that that's beggars canyon that they're going through until this episode i never made the connection because i've gone through that in so many pod racing games and i've gone through that in lego star wars so many times and i never realized oh that's that's Beggars Canyon. You're making what? me feel
1: old because I flew through it in Rogue Squadron.
2: <laughs> oh, I do actually think too that that's exact. That when he turns the the N one on, that's exactly the same ignition sequence that they do. I didn't have a chance to check, but I'm pretty sure it's the same ignition sequence hmm. that they do in Phantom Menace. Our Dank Ferret counter for uh the Book of Boba Fett is now at three. <laughs> I can't stop. I started for our Mando coverage and I can't stop. I have to count them now.
0: I, I, guess it's not, I guess it's not that weird that it would pop up in this episode because obviously Mando's here. But um, do we have to have a new counter now? Because...
2: No, no, Bradley. This is not Dark Side Divas. We are not going to have counters for fucking everything. I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no. I refuse to count them because someone out there... We'll do the track, the counters. Exactly. And, and I, I don't want to feed into that for them. Let's, let's talk let's about pull the Yeah, let's pull the pen out of something else that I said, let's put a pen in. This <laughs> and come back to it. Um, boy. Yeah, there's something that uh, pen, speaking of pens that Bradley wants to be put in him, Max Lloyd-Jones is here.
0: welcome back sweetie (laughs) well technically we have to be technical about this because unofficially he hasn't really shown up before but officially he has like his body was technically in an episode of mandalorian before but his face is now for the first time
2: for those of you who are just tuning into our book of boba coverage uh a, a quick catch up Max Lloyd-Jones was the gentleman who was the body double for Luke Skywalker in season two, episode eight of The Mandalorian, and was also one of Bradley's childhood crushes during his role in The Sandlot 2. And he is now showing up again playing a Lieutenant Reed, who is one of the cops who pulls Mando over, which I didn't realize that was him until somebody pointed it out to me.
0: Yeah, I kind of, I I noticed it right away, Uh, probably because (laughs) I have a deeper connection to him than you do, (laughs) but um, that's okay. Um, I don't blame you for not recognizing He did have facial hair, so.
2: Yeah, he had a little bit of stubble going on this time.
0: But I honestly, I think they did that on purpose because the fact that he had facial hair was due to the fact that if he did not have facial hair, people would have been like, oh, Luke Skywalker's in an X-Wing and he's pulling over Mando? What? Like, it wouldn't have made any sense.
1: He should have just been Luke. Uh, that's that's a different conversation. But uh, yeah, it's good yeah. to see him again.
2: Yeah, I, I actually agree. They they should have just recast him with Luke and then that would let Luke be more versatile and be in more things in this era we badly need to get away from the idea that only certain actors can embody certain characters. And that was something I took, think Solo took a lot of strides towards. Mm-hmm. And now we've kind of slipped back.
0: back backslide. With, yeah. with the Just like Mando. Just like Mando. They should anyway, have recast backslide.
1: Leia in Rise of Skywalker 2, which I know is a much more controversial opinion as well. But yeah. Um, mm-hmm interesting that's just uh, what i think i think it would have been stronger but anywho yeah uh cool to see both uh, these actors again and i like carson teva
2: so yeah speaking of the other one uh paul sunhang lee is back as carson teva which again we're gonna pull a pin out of something i said we'll put a pin in or way up at the top of the episode just fucking give this man ranges the new republic just give it to him
0: so we all I, love him i was he gonna say a show I just watched for the first time ever Kim's Convenience, um, which he is so in. fun. I watched the first episode. Um, arguably, he is the best character in the show. He's so funny, and watching him like go from playing that stereotypical, you know, character who doesn't necessarily speak English all that well, but like then watching him in this being like completely like he is such a good actor. He has so much range that the fact that he can go from that to this it's like yeah maybe he should have his own show now like I'm thinking about it like why not make a funny not even it doesn't even necessarily have to be funny but I think it would be a nice break from Star Wars to do a funny cop show like it would be an interesting like I mean obviously not cops but like they're space cops like but it would just be funny to have his own like squad that that love misfits that he has to deal with all the time like
2: yeah just just have him be like just do Brooklyn 99 but like with new republic space cops (laughs) instead and it's carson teva putting together this like phantom squadron like team of that was my shout out to aftermath for the week uh like this team of people who's like flying around doing the x-wing thing and have that be the show like that could work so well and it would be such a subversion of what we would think should be like a new republic show i don't know i think they got it i think they should give the show to this guy i agree yeah
1: you'll get no argument from me
0: once mando returns he is confronted by fennec shand who finally connects us to the book of boba who offers him a job as some muscle but not before he decides to pay a visit to his little friend
2: i only have two notes for this this little scene at the end here the first is uh mando calls the quote-unquote pot racing a uh, wizard
0: um so our wizard counter is now at one
2: <laughs> jesus <laughs> fucking christ bro! i
1: thought kitster was going to be in this episode as an adult because i saw on twitter everyone saying wizard but I had blocked like every Star Wars thing, but still I was seeing people say wizard. And I was like, oh my God, is Kister in this episode? That
0: would be actually kind of cool to bring him back in a weird way. Like if not, like, or or have him bring him back and then have him maybe, I don't know, like know Peli for some reason. Like, oh yeah, we're neighbors. Or like we, you know, she takes care of my dog on the weekends or something stupid like that. You know what I mean?
2: So I can explain why wizard blew up. It's because... So everyone, including me, has High Republic brain rot uh, because the High Republic has been coming out for a little over a year and it is the best Star Wars thing in a long time. But they just had an issue, which was the galactic bake-off issue for the High Republic Adventures. And the High Republic Adventures has revealed the origin of saying wizard as an expression of excitement. And that comes from Jedi Padawan Ram Jomaram just fucking making it up and other people adopting it. This one kid during the High Republic era was like, I'm going to start saying things are wizard instead of saying things are cool. And now everybody says it. It's very cute. Yeah. So when that got brought up, uh, everyone like me who has High Republic brainwatt was like, I know this is a reference to the Phantom Menace, but Ram? Is that you, Bates? (laughs) Oh my goodness. My other note is just wondering who the little friend is and why is it Cobb Vanth?
0: Oh my God. It's not Cobb Vanth.
2: It's Cobb Vanth. Oh
0: my God. His little friend is Grogu. Let's relax. He's
2: not going to get Grogu. He's not going to get Grogu back in between episodes.
1: Presumably while Fennec was coming and fetching din boba was going and getting help too so i'm excited to see what friends boba shows up with um you know dengar bosk embo who knows but uh, i'm excited to see maybe. who might show up
2: Jas emery maybe uh that was my other obligatory aftermath reference uh, just cool my
0: only guess great. would be I, I think the most likely option is probably just Bosque only because I was thinking like that because the Oceans are such a heavy presence in Tatooine at the moment, like it would be a really cool dynamic to be like they, their champion or whatever, their fucking person that they send to be like, here, you can have him. Like here's Bosque. And then have Bosque and Black and like fucking hate each other. So they have to work together like to, it, it works so well. Like, it's, that's, it's it that's I, like was,
2: I did not think I was into Bosk and Black Chrysanthemum, enemies to lovers, but you know, the <laughs> more I fink? think about it, the more I think about it, they, there is only one bed. I'm just saying. What if, I just had a thought here, what if Mando season three and the back half of Book of Boba are actually occurring simultaneously? so den goes off does the first episode or two of mando season three and then comes back to do the end of book of boba and then it continues on
0: yeah i know it's hard to think because i i thought like i also thought that too like he's gonna do that and then come back and then finish this out and then not have grogu but then that's a mislead right because it's gonna be like oh he just left grogu with peli or something before he finished what he was doing with boba you know something there like we're we have to believe that he doesn't have Grogu for a hot second, but he's gonna get him back like immediately.
2: Yeah, I still think it's Cobb Vanth. Timothy Olyphant went on uh, a late night talk show and he had the Cobb Vanth beard, so that is is evidence that Cobb Vanth will be back. Uh, and him and Din will kiss on the mouth. Uh, Din Din will take his helmet off for this. Uh, I am correct about this. This is is not my exhaustion brain talking. I'm completely correct about this Lucasfilm hire me I am available
1: but yeah I'm definitely excited for next week this was like a really good fun cliffhanger and uh having like the speculation brain is a really good time with Star Wars stuff so being able to like fantasize about who else might join the team and what characters might show up and will Grogu be here
2: or not it's very fun it's fun if you don't hype yourself up and base your expectation of something on whether or not it meets that expectation. Sure. That's the one thing. I, I love to speculate about things, but I also now know that like I can't judge a piece of work by whether or not it met my personal expectations. My favorite piece of work, my favorite Star Wars movie, as I mentioned before, is The Last Jedi. And The Last Jedi did nothing but be like, oh, you had expectations? yeah fuck those we're gonna do something better
0: i also think that um with this show like it's hard to like it's hard to hype up because now we know that theoretically the next episode is directed by dave Filoni, and so oh fuck so who knows what the fuck is gonna show up in this episode like i, I like for all we know ahsoka is fucking showing up in this goddamn next episode like you know what i mean like for all we know like if we really don't know
2: it's R2-D2. The answer is it's R2-D2. R2-D2's gonna show up.
0: Well, and that's the other thing, too, is if, if they do your theory of like he goes away and comes back, then we're not gonna see quote-unquote Luke again. But what if they do show him go back to Grogu in the beginning half of next episode and fucking Luke Skywalker is in the goddamn next episode? If,
2: if they do the fucking reunion in the Book of Boba Fett, yes. which is, again ostensibly the show we're meant to be watching that will annoy me like if he goes away and then he comes back and he has grogu because because crew gifts from the book of boba fett had the grogu emblem on them so
1: i've had friends skipping this show because they just don't like boba fett and i was like you guys need to watch this episode
2: yeah oh I maybe I just really want it to be Cobb Vanth because him and then should kiss on the mouth. Yeah. That's my final right. thought on that. Andy, do you want to give us our your final thoughts on the episode? Uh
1: yeah, it's a really good episode. It deals with a lot of um heavy themes and then it's also just like has a lot of joy in it. Uh I think. There's a lot of subtextual metaphor that you can read into it if you want to. Um, I'm a big fan of the X-Men comics, specifically like the old stuff, the 70s and 80s stuff. And something that Chris Claremont brought to those comics was the mutant metaphor for um, minorities. That's not something that Stan Lee made up. That was something that uh, Chris Claremont brought to it. And he really fleshes it out by bringing in characters who are otherwise... Minority, So he brings in Storm, he brings in Kitty, uh, who's Jewish, uh, Magneto, who's Jewish. And um, the mutant metaphor then has way more meaning and depth to it because you're exploring it through these marginalized identities of like Storm being the main character and stuff. And I think what Star Wars is lacking in its metaphors is having more... Marginalized identities, specifically queer identities. So we have people of color leading Star Wars stuff now, which is amazing and hugely forwards. And we have projects led by women, characters who are just like carrying movies and shows and stuff, which is dope. But uh, we're really missing queer characters. And I think the idea of an outsider leaving their faith behind is uh, a really strong queer theme. And I think it would hit harder if uh, it wasn't just metaphorical. That's my final thought. That's my thesis on Din Djarin's a gay man.
2: My final thoughts in the episode. I have seen some criticism, which I said at the top of the episode, my dislike was I felt like Boba didn't feature enough in it. But I do feel like it, it was important to show where Den is at as a character when he comes in to play a role in these last two episodes of Book of Boba, I don't think that just one or two scenes would have adequately conveyed that. They didn't have a lot of room. And I think overall, it may hamper the Book of Boba series somewhat to have spent an entire episode on a character that's not Boba Fett. But I do like that they slowed down to really dig into where is he at following losing Grogu. I did think that was good. Loved the episode. Uh, again, my only real complaint was that it didn't tie into Boba Fett quite enough, and I don't think he needed to show up. It it may be that that turns out to be for a specific purpose, like Din may make a decision in the last two episodes that we needed context for, but right now as it stands as of recording this with no idea what's in the last two episodes, I I really think that They could have done this maybe a little better to tie it in, but I still think it was a good episode. Bradley, what about you?
0: Um, yeah, you you've pretty much echoed all my thoughts. Uh I mean, I love all the Easter eggs, uh all the prequel stuff. It's just it just makes me so happy to see all that stuff. Like it almost makes me want to have like one of these shows have like fucking Jar Jar show up. Like I genuinely want to see that. Like I wanna see live action Jar Jar show up and I wanna see, you know, the cat. Monster thing from uh Attack of the Clones show up. I wanna see, you know, I just like, it's every- called a
2: ne- it's called a Nexu and it is a foundational part of our friendship.
0: <laughs> I want to see a Nexu show up, I wanna see Jar Jar show up, I wanna see fucking Sabulba show up in this goddamn show. I wanna see Watto, old man Watto show up in this show. I wanna see just everything, like just bring it all back. Okay, like I don't care how like annoying it is like to have prequel stuff in this stuff, like all those kids are all grown up now so all the people who like the old movies are dead now so great we can have our prequel time and this is that time (laughs) um preach preach you know so this is the era of the prequel and it's coming back um i love it i i want more stuff um i i also think that this episode is both the best episode of star wars tv ever so far but it's also the worst episode of book of boba as it is not related to book of boba in any way whatsoever that being said it was still an amazing episode um i yeah they just needed to find a way to have boba in this episode i don't care how they did it they should have just figured it out like it it didn't even have to make sense he just should have just been walking around doing stuff because honestly like it is questionable like you said We don't know what the next episode's like, so maybe it all makes sense in the long term. But, like, if we're going to watch this all, like, seven episodes back to back, and then you shoehorn in this Mandalorian season one premiere, basically. Like, I don't even know why they're pretending that that's not what this was. This was season three, episode one of Mandalorian. I mean, for the most part. And it just, I think the problem was, timeline-wise, they are trying to force the timeline to work. And I think that's what it is. Like, they wanted Mandalorian three to start at this point in Boba's story. And it's like, well, why couldn't Boba just finish his story and then you go into the, but whatever. I mean, that's just my, my thoughts.
2: All right. Well, Andy, thank you so much for taking the time out to join us. Uh, I know that we were trying very hard to make sure that you were on, because I wanted to give you a chance to talk about this episode. So I'm glad we were able to do that do you have i know that you definitely want to plug force friends rewatch where can people find that show where can people find you and what else do you do that you want people to check out
1: sure so uh i'm at a one hat town on twitter and uh you can find any of my podcasts through there i retweet all of them uh my star wars podcast is force friends rewatch we talk about star wars tv shows I do an actual play Monster of the Week podcast called Good Neighbors, where it is a very queer, uh, very spooky game uh, set in modern day, uh, like Louisiana, about a group of uh, found family and they have to protect their community from spooky scary monsters. Uh, You should check that out if that sounds cool. And um, I am on a show called Ending Pending, which is my friend Ronnie and my fiance and I, and we deep dive TV shows that only lasted a single season and we try and CSI what worked, what didn't work and why it got canceled.
2: Awesome. Yeah, definitely check out all of those things. Andy is apparently very busy i never Uh have time (laughs) good god i mean bradley and i run one podcast it about makes us insane and there are two of us (laughs) right well so it
1: it helps how we how we juggle the recording schedules but yeah it's it's tough
2: well andy thank you so much for taking the time out to come and talk to us about this book of boba fett episode as we end the show, uh, I have been listening to Forrest Friends Rewatch, and you guys on that show always make an impassioned plea at the end of that. Do, do you want to make that same impassioned plea here to close us out? Tell the boy about his parents. Tell him about his parents.
0: Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze.
2: Did we forget something? Email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com you can follow us on Twitter at GoldSquadGaze and you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at GoldSquadronGaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at GoldSquadronGaze where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content.
0: Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold GoldSquadronGaze. Yes,
2: yeah, it, everything's backdooring into each other. It's uh, it's it's like my Saturday nights, basically before COVID, at least.